We have hope in Sheep have gone astray. Everybody wants to go their own way. But Jesus knows our every move. And he came to rescue me and you. Our God proves his love for us.
Let's give God a big round of applause for Vacation Bible School 2018. Um, in, the, in the theme of the song, uh, Game On, uh, you know, his, his divine power has given us everything. Uh, I mean, that song is lifted right from one of the richest passages in the Bible on our theme for the week. And the, the, the songs that the kids sung had such treasures in them. The promise in which we, we proclaimed this week had such truth, and it was a joy to see everybody who participated, and I know God did great things. Uh, on top of that, uh, the offering was completely overwhelming. I think when I started, I thought a couple hundred dollars towards the Dominican bus would be wonderful, but the kids really got into it, and $1,091. Give God a round of applause for that. When, when Dwight left the Dominican, he, uh, he, gave, he gave of his own money about $40 towards the bus, the Hedges family, and the pastor was in tears at the overwhelming generosity. I don't know what $1,091 is going to be like, but I know that you, you, you were a part of that. Everybody was part of that vacation Bible school. The, what's going to happen when they receive that gift is going to be more than you can ever imagine. So thank you for giving, and thank you for participating this week. And one of the songs is Each and Every Day. And a part of Bible school, I think, is just such a blessing. It's like camp, and it's like a mission trip. Each day gets better and better. And I think there's something that's really wonderful that happens seeing the kids come back, seeing the workers come back day after day after day. It's like a snowball that just continues to grow and to, to overflow in joy. And so it's, it's one of those things we're talking with Mason in, uh, in Sunday school, and he's like, I can't believe it's over. And that's sort of part of our, our, uh, our feeling right now is, is God did so many good things, and we don't want it to stop. And so when I said we're going to have 200 more straight days of Bible school, I think that would be exciting and wonderful. But I thank God for every day that we had and how it got better and better and better. And I believe we have popcorn and lemonade for everyone after the service over in the Family Life Center. So thank you. One more round of applause for God for a wonderful week. Thank you, kids. Great job singing this morning. Chuck Taylor's going to go and find that Dwight guy and get on his plane. Thank you for having me this week. It's been a great Bible school.
The title of the sermon today is Getting Good Out of Bad. <clears throat> Sometimes that's hard for us to see. And certainly in the upper room that night when the disciples heard the word that Jesus was about to be betrayed into the hands of those who would put him to death, it seemed really bad. But what you hold in your hand this morning reminds us of how that bad was good. And Jesus understood that. He understood that he must die in order for us to be forgiven and so that we could live. And so that night in the upper room when he gave to his disciples the bread and the cup, he gave them something to hold on to, to remind them that what seemed to be bad turned out to be good. And because of that, we can find salvation today. So on the same night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and when he had blessed it and broken it, he gave it to his disciples and said, for as often as you eat this, remember me. After they had eaten, he took the cup. And in the cup, he gave them hope. For he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you drink it, remember me. The scripture goes on to teach us, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to do one more VBS song. I want you to repeat these words after me. What great love, what great love. The, Father the Father has given us that we should be called his children. Let's thank God every day for his son, Jesus Christ, and what great love he has given us. So I'm going to ask the boys and girls to come back down. Just come on the same spots that you were before. This is another one of the songs that we repeat the chorus often. What great love the Father has given us that we should be called his children. And hope I will hear you sing.
As the children go down, the ushers will come forward for the offering. Good morning. It's a nice crowd here this morning. I wonder why. Go with me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this day that you have given us. Thank you for the seasons that you have created for us. We do enjoy some better than others, but we do thank you for them. Today, as we come to worship you, we ask that you be with us, open our hearts and our minds to your message. And we come now with our tithes and our offerings, just a small part of what you've allowed us to have, Father, but you ask us to give it back to you, and we will, and we do today. I ask that you bless the tithe, the offering, and the giver. Multiply these monies for the kingdom of yours. Yes, we have had a great week this week of Bible school. Love all the children that we've seen and know that they have heard your word about your son Jesus. We heard it in the adult class also. And we this morning know that we have hope in your son, Jesus Christ, as our savior. It is in his name that I pray, amen. Among the waves, 
You're the God of all my days. Each step I take, you make a way. And I will give you all my praise. My seasons change, you stay the same. You're the God of all I ran from you, wandered in my shadows, and found a God who relentlessly pursues. I hid from you, haunted by my failure, and found the God whose grace still covers me. And I fell on you. I was at my weakest and found the God, the lifter of my head. And I've worshipped you and felt you right beside me. You're the reason that I sing, because you're the God of all my days. Each step I take.
those of you who have the prayer guide for the month. Uh, today we start the week of prayer uh, as we pray um, that God will use our church and use it through prayer. Uh, if you don't have a book, I'm not sure there are any in the back, but there are some in the church office. It's on, and it's on the website, yeah. There are some in the church office, and it is on the website. I gave my book away this morning because somebody wanted one. I said, well, I'll get another one, so I just gave my book away. So if you find somebody needs one and you want to give yours away, give it away, and we'll get you another one, okay? So uh, we do want to be praying together as a church family the entire month of August. Let's pray. <clears throat> Gracious Lord, we bow in your presence thankful for the opportunity and the privilege of prayer. We come to you this morning, Father, casting our cares upon you because we know that you care for us. Speak to our hearts this morning through your word. We're thankful, Father, for your word as it was proclaimed this past week in Vacation Bible School for each child that was present. For lives that were touched and transformed, we give thanks. For the offering that you blessed and multiplied that will go for ministry in the Dominican Republic. We are grateful. We pray, Father, that you will be with those who are hospitalized, those who are in rehab facilities. We lift them before you. And pray, Father, that you would bring healing and strength to their bodies. We're thankful, Father, for your word. For in your word we find truth and meaning and purpose. Open our minds and our hearts this morning, Father, as we open your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our scripture this morning is found in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. We were in Philippians last week, and this week we want to look again at Paul's words to the Philippians. I'm moving my microphone up. The, the works for it, it had too far to go in my pocket, so... <laughs> Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having come confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life 
or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. A.T. Robertson, the late A.T. Robertson, professor of Greek and New Testament Southern Seminary, once said, our problem is to be able to see the hand of God in a world of law and order when things go against us. Failed plans, sickness, shattered dreams, thwarted opportunities, death, all these can cause us grief. Yet they may also lead to tremendous opportunities. Such was Paul's experience. He longed to go to Rome to preach the gospel. He did go to Rome, but he was there as a prisoner. He made use of his time by writing letters to the churches. He wrote to the Philippians friends about what had happened. God had turned bad into good. Paul's personal situation was bad. He was imprisoned, but his spiritual situation was good. He was preaching the gospel in Rome. It may not have been on the terms that Paul expected. It may not have been the way that Paul expected. But he was in Rome, even as a prisoner, he was proclaiming the gospel. To set at ease the minds of his friends at Philippi, Paul asserted that the things that had happened to him resulted in the furtherance of the gospel. Others heard the message. Even though in prison, Paul had been allowed to arrange his own living quarters until his trial. He was chained at all times to a Roman soldier. And we can be sure that those soldiers heard the gospel. Paul's Shining example has served as a source of inspiration for all Christians since then. Paul, better than most, understood that the past had to remain in the past. You seized the moment that you were given and you did what was necessary in order to proclaim the gospel. Sometimes in our lives we say if things were a certain way at a certain time, we'll do what we need to do. We wait on opportunities instead of seizing the opportunities that are given to us right now. Paul knew that regardless of where he found himself, he had a message to share with anyone he came into contact with. But what was Paul's method of getting good out of bad? We find it in verses 12 through 18. Paul indicated the influence of his imprisonment upon Christians as well as upon outsiders. Christians could have been frightened into silence because of the arrest of the great apostle. Instead, they were moved to speak out more boldly. It is not implied that they were silent prior to this, but rather that although already vocal, they became bolder. It was not because they did not realize the seriousness of Paul's arrest, but that they found new incentive and courage from Paul's boldness, from him seizing the opportunities that he found. Paul so transcended his circumstances that they dared to declare the gospel without fear of consequences. If Paul could proclaim the gospel in chains, they could proclaim the gospel in their freedom. After all, Paul could have remembered a time when he persecuted the church, as I wrote about in the newsletter and we talked about last week in Bible school. But even in his persecution of the church, God was able to use him. Because those he persecuted in Jerusalem found a way to scatter. 
And when they fled Jerusalem, they took the message of the gospel with them. So Paul, in his intent to destroy the gospel message in Jerusalem, only pushed people further and further out into the then known world to proclaim the message of the gospel. Paul knew that in all circumstances, God could use him. And God can use us too. Paul rejoiced because Christ was preached and the gospel was furthered. This was done in two ways. First, Paul's witness to the Praetorian Guard. And second, the preaching of Christ by others. The others who preached Christ did not always do it out of a good motive. Some preached Christ sincerely and others preached Christ from a partisan spirit in opposition to Paul. In any case, Paul said Christ was being preached. People were hearing the message of how Christ had died for their sins, was buried and rose again, bringing forgiveness and eternal life. Bad is turned to good when we use it as an opportunity to witness for Christ. This can be done in several ways. The witness to Christ as personal Savior we see in Paul's life. While chained to the Roman soldiers, Paul surely gave witness to Christ as personal Savior. It is inconceivable that one who had Paul's experience with Christ would not share it at any given opportunity. What difference did it make? The Roman church did not send missionaries to the British Isles until Augustine in A.D. 56. Upon arriving there, they found an expression of Christianity different from that practiced by the Roman Catholic Church. Where did it originate? Notwithstanding the ministry of Patrick of Ireland and Columbia of Scotland in the 5th century, it possibly came from Rome. Because the Roman Empire practiced the rotation of its troops to various parts of the empire. Likely some of those soldiers to whom Paul had witnessed in Rome had accepted Christ. And then upon their transfer to Great Britain had witnessed of Christ. The message was going out from that prison cell in places that were inconceivable to Paul. But Paul knew that Christ would bless what he did. And Christ will bless what we do if we do it out of a faithful heart. He witnessed to the reality of God. While suffering hardships, Paul could give witness to the reality of God in his life. No one could face suffering and deprivation without sharing his or her source of strength. For Paul, it was his personal relationship with Christ. And he shared that personal relationship with others. That personal relationship you have with Christ will help you sometimes to see good when things are bad. In the 16th century, the English bishop Ridley was put in the custody of the mayor of Oxford and his bigoted wife for a year and a half. He had known civil and ecclesiastical dignity and had had a large circle of admirable friends, but then suffered house arrest. But at the conclusion of his confinement, the mayor's wife was won to admiration and attachment to Ridley and to spiritual convictions, and he converted her. All because of the example he set and the words that he spoke while being held in captivity. But what are the means of getting good out of bad? Look at verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul's imprisonment moved many to new efforts in preaching Christ, but with no uniformity of motive. 
Some preach from envy and rivalry. Others from goodwill, presumably toward Paul. There is no hint that Paul's rivals were considered heretical, Judaizers, or Gnostics. In question was not the soundness of their gospel, but their motives. These may have been jealous of the attention given Paul, even as a prisoner. This would more likely be the case in Rome where Christianity had preceded Paul by some years and Paul's coming could pose a threat to their leadership. This also accords with the charge of partisanship, a group outside Paul's following. Presumably Paul's opponents thought that their success would afflict Paul by making him jealous. But to the contrary, Paul could rejoice that at least that they at least proclaim Christ, even if for unworthy motives. This is not to discount the importance of motive, but it is to recognize that the gospel has its own power, even when proclaimed by people lacking in motive or character. It's important for us to, st- to understand that the gospel stands alone. I've said to you before, the gospel is not saved by us. The gospel saves us. And if the gospel is proclaimed, it has a power of its own to transform people's lives, regardless of the motive with which it is proclaimed. If witnessing is the method of getting good out of bad, what are the means? Paul expressed it in one verse. Paul was confident that his ordeal of imprisonment and his harassment by partisan Christians would end in victory. For the victory expected, Paul is dependent upon the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Help translates a word normally rendered supply. Paul was dependent on the prayer of fellow Christians. He said in verse 19, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. Prayer makes a difference. Paul understood that those saints who were praying for him at Philippi could make a difference in his imprisonment. If he wasn't set free, at least he had the opportunity to share the message with wisdom. Intercessory prayer is one of the great privileges of Christians. We can pray for strength for one another. We can pray that the bad circumstances in which other Christians find themselves can be used for good. But he also spoke of the power of the Holy Spirit. The second means is the power of the Holy Spirit. God's power can make good come out of any situation, no matter how bad it may seem to be. God has a way of taking what is bad and using it for good. Wasn't it Paul who said in another place that all things work together for good? To them who love the Lord. To them who are called according to his purpose. Paul among, above all others could say that. Because he understood that even in his bad circumstances in life, God could use him. One of the main characters in Catherine Marshall's novel, Christie, is Miss Alice, the Quaker Mountain School mission teacher. Toward the end of the book, Christie learns that the mountain physician, Neil McNeil, is the widower of Miss Alice's illegitimate daughter. Her name was Margaret. In telling Christie the story of Margaret's birth, life, and marriage, Miss Alice said, So they ran off and got married. 
But I fear there was a flaw at the heart of the marriage, a certain feeling of unworthiness in Margaret. I was never sure of this, but at least once I heard her refer to herself as an accident conceived in man's lust. And since she was discounting God, naturally she had no understanding of some of his greatest miracles. Bringing good out of man's treachery and baseness. Good out of bad. But what is the motive that should be ours for getting good out of bad? The motive for getting good out of bad is that Christ might be magnified through the life of the Christian. As bad as it may seem, how can your situation affect someone else's situation for good? We see those stories all the time, don't we? They're written about. We see them on uh, news reports and things where someone's misfortune leads to someone else's blessing. It doesn't sound all that fair. But if we look at it in light of what Paul is saying here, it begins to make sense. Verse 20 indicates that Paul's primary concern is not with the outcome of his trial, whether life or death, but with his own manner throughout the ordeal, that he not put to shame by any, be put to shame by any failure in courage. We see his desire in verse 20. Paul clearly expresses his desire for the magnification of Christ through his life. Whether through Paul's death or his continuation of a witnessing life. His great desire is that Christ be magnified through him. It is his eager expectation and hope that he had not only... That he not only... Put, be put to shame, but that Christ will be honored. Paul does not want to be a hero. He wants to meet his fate, whether life or death, with such dignity and spirit that all may see what Christ means to him. Because Paul understood that once Christ had a hold of his life, what mattered most was magnifying Christ in this life and the reward would come in eternity. A Christian physician successful in her career and highly respected by her profession related to a group of friends how she had come to meet Jesus whose power to save had transformed her life. One of the steps that led her out of the atheism she once boasted was the manner in which a young Christian husband and his wife received a great disappointment. It was a hard thing to tell them, she said. I knew how they had longed for children to gladden their hearts and home, and now their hopes were blasted. But it was the way they took it that impressed me, she said. I knew that God was real to them. I was haunted by the realization that they had something I did not possess and I wanted it. Isn't that how Paul made the message of Christ? Even in his chains, his attitude was one that what I have you need as well. Paul summed it up in verse 21 in his definition of life when he said, For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. For to die would allow him to enter into the presence of Christ. He was willing to follow God's will. Paul did not desire death as an escape from life. He saw death as an entrance into the greater fullness of a life that was already full. 
Whatever life may mean to others, to him it was Christ. Christ gave life its meaning for him. And apart from Christ, he had no meaning. Death meant not loss, but gain. For the good life he now knew in Christ would be not only continued, but heightened. You see, Paul understood something that we need to get to the same place in our lives. That once Christ had a hold of him, his life was transformed. He was changed. He lived for Christ. That's what mattered to him. And so whatever circumstances he found himself in, he could rejoice. He had a mission. And we have a mission as well. He looked to the future. He never looked back. Always looked forward to the next thing that Christ could do with his life. Johnny Erickson Tata is a woman who has experienced a lot of suffering. Paralyzed from the shoulders down after a tragic diving accident as a teenager, Johnny often wanted to die instead of working to live and overcome her disabilities. She still lives in pain every day. But God has given her a worldwide ministry that she could never have dreamed of before her accident. And she has proven faithful through it all. In a devotion entitled Closer to the Other Side, she tells about something that happened to her. Something that for most of us would be rather mundane. But to her, it spoke of something far deeper. She writes... For me, in this wheelchair, shampooing my hair requires parking in front of my bathroom sink, leaning forward and letting my friend Dana go at it as she stands to one side and lathers my hair. Johnny, would you like me to wash your face while you're under the faucet, she asked. Sure, I gurgled. She took her soapy hands and began lathering my cheeks, using the flat of her fingers to gently wash around my eyes. I gasped. Am I hurting you, Dana asked. Oh, no, not at all, I said. Please, please keep going. How could I explain, she said. For that brief moment, it felt as though her hands were mine. She was rubbing my face exactly the way I used to with my own hands decades ago. Those few brief moments were about as close as I've ever felt to being healed. When we finished, Dana patted my face and hair dry with a towel. She also had to wipe away my tears. But they weren't tears of sadness or regret. They were tears of joy about the future, I told her. This was a reminder that soon I will be able to wash my own face with new glorified hands. Then Johnny Johnny said, There is less distance between me and the future than me and the past before I was injured. I've come to the place where a memory can push me joyfully into the future rather than pull me somberly back into a sad past. Because we are believers, the future has a happy, magnetic pull on our hearts. Take just a few minutes today to think about the new, marvelous, perfect, immortal body that awaits you. Really, just a few years on the other side. Paul understood that, didn't he? When he said, for me to live... Is Christ. But to die is gain. 
some of the things that happen to us are bad. Really bad. But with the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the situation, God can enable us to get good out of bad. Have you allowed God to take over your life in Christ in such a way that in all circumstances you can see the opportunity? Opportunities are all around. Paul understood that. And through the inspired word, he sought to communicate that to us. Because he knew that nothing mattered apart from Christ. He had lived it. And he knew it. But when the Lord got a hold of him and transformed him, he could say with all God's children, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, we are grateful for your servant Paul. For the message that he delivered to the church at Philippi. For the hope that rests in knowing that through him, lives were transformed by your power. <coughs> May we, Father, always use Paul as an example of one who lived a life filled with good and with bad. But in all things, he could find hope in you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Paul did not want to die. But Paul understood that as he lived, he could impact lives for the future. But at the crossroads of his life, he had determined that if the Lord keeps him here, he'll proclaim him. If he takes him home, he would rejoice with him. The question for us is, are we willing to live for Christ? Our hymn of invitation is number 500. 34, take my life and let it be consecrated. Consecrate yourselves and be holy before the Lord. As we stand and sing hymn number 534.
Thank you for making this service a part of your day. Thank you, VBS children and leaders, for coming and leading us in worship this morning, seeing what you were doing last week. Thank Dwight for the hard work that he did all week in Bible school and for the good time we were able to have. Uh, Chuck Taylor's on the Wheaties box over here. Remember I said something about Wheaties last week? Well, he's on the Wheaties box over here if you want to take a look at that. Um, I think it embarrassed Chuck Taylor that he was on the Wheaties box. <laughs> I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, we are grateful for uh, the fun they had this week and for what they learned. It was a good week of vacation Bible school. We ended up, how many children on roll? Do you remember? Do you, I, I'm about 70? 62. 62 children. And we had probably almost as many workers, didn't we? We had lots of people to come out. Uh, for a good week of vacation Bible school, and we're grateful for that time. Don't forget that this is Benevolent Sunday, so there will be deacons at the door to receive your benevolence offering, as is our custom the first Sunday of each month. Uh, we ran a little over today, and we've got the children in there. Just uh, I can feel them about to explode. You know? <laughs> so I'm grateful for uh, their